0: Hi, and welcome to this, the first episode of the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. Today I'm talking to Mark Jobling. Mark is Secondary Assistant Principal at the ISF Academy in Hong Kong. He's a trained history teacher who has also dabbled in maths and is looking forward to starting a new leadership role with the English Schools Foundation in Hong Kong later this year. Before starting, it's worth mentioning that Mark and I have known each other for a few years, and I'm extremely grateful that he gave up his time to contribute to this, my first education-based podcast. Although this podcast is primarily aimed at interviewing international leaders and international teachers of English, Mark was able to offer some insight on what it's like to lead a secondary school, as well as his thoughts on history education. We discuss his training in the UK and subsequent move to Asia, his step up into senior leadership at the ISF Academy potential differences between staff and parental attitudes when working in a multicultural environment, his favourite era of history to teach, and thoughts on whether or not a knowledge-rich curriculum is something to focus on within history as a subject. Lastly, I asked Mark about his mission statement, ethos, or central values should he one day open a school of his own abroad. Once again, thank you very much to Mark for offering his time and experience today I hope leaders, teachers, and potential educators can gain something from his insights. Okay, so um, can you give us some background on your training in the UK, your experience in the UK and and Hong Kong, and what ultimately led your decision to uh, swap London for Hong Kong?
1: Yeah. So uh, I trained at the Institute of Education in London. Uh, both my parents were teachers. So mm. even though I thought that would probably be the one job I wouldn't have gone into, it as one that once I made that decision, I had a bit of background and what the life expect uh, entailed. Trained in London and then got a job at a great school called Haberdasher's Ask Action College. It's a state school in central London, near Peckham. Very tough area, but brilliant school. I was there for five years. Very happy. A few different middle leadership roles, head of year, advanced skills teacher. and was just, to be honest, looking to settle down in London and maybe move into senior management. And then my wife, who is a lawyer, got an opportunity to go to Tokyo for six months. And that really kind of opened our eyes to the international scene. So our move to Hong Kong was was a lifestyle choice more than um, a professional choice, really wanted to just experience living in Asia for a few years. Mm. Uh, and that was, that was nine years ago. So yeah, it's, it's, been, it's
0: been
1: going pretty well. I think it was a good good lifestyle decision. We've been very happy yeah.
0: here. When, when you initially moved to um, ISF in Hong Kong, you were, correct me if I'm wrong, you were, I think you were hired as a maths teacher, weren't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so how did that kind of, I, I remember actually being on, a football tour with you when you were applying for the, the position of like deputy um, uh, principal for secondary. So how did that um, how, how did that come about in terms of applying for that job and, and what made you want to take the step up in Hong Kong?
1: Uh, so yeah, I came to ISF as a teacher and then before, I, I accepted the job as a classroom teacher And then before I arrived, I was offered the role of head of year Mm. because the position had opened up and the principal had seen that was my background. So I came in as a middle leader. um, And I mean, I just I loved it being being here and being free. I haven't worked in the UK like yourself where, you know, there's a lot of accountability. There's a big focus on league tables. I found sort of leadership roles there a little bit dispiriting at times because mm. it felt like we weren't focused on the important things, whereas being at an international independent school, uh, you know, you were free to, to try new things and it was all focused on the students and, and the community. So I loved working in middle leadership here uh, and I was always looking, I felt I had a bit more capacity and a, a natural desire to do a bit more, so I was always looking to do a few extra things, um, sort of go beyond my role and I sort of did some stuff developing our data how we mm. use data at school. Did some stuff working with parents and sort of the parent workshops we offered. Um, and so it was. It felt like quite a natural step moving into senior leadership. It wasn't, um, you know, something I guess I'd. I was interested. I wanted to do more. I was, I was excited about it. I didn't feel I was going into a role where I was just doing administration. It was a role where I could have an influence on the students and the parents mm. and and the staff. Um, so yeah, r- the role came up after I've been here about four or five years in different middle leadership roles. Mm. Um and I sort of jumped at it and um fortunately was successful. And and so yeah, that was it. So I went into a, a pastoral leadership position at the school.
0: For for those who don't know, Hong Kong's quite a um it's it's almost like for lack of a better word, like a free market. Um, approach to education, isn't it? There isn't any kind of regulatory body if you're an international school, unless I suppose you're in the equivalent of a of a MAT, like the English Schools Foundation. But uh, I suppose ISF, si- similar to the school that I'm in now, you're not really beholden to any external standards like you would be with Ofsted. So would you say, in terms of quality of life, like work-life balance and all those, those sort of things, like Hong Kong, or at least ISF was much better than what you saw in, in London?
1: Uh, yeah, I think the quality of life as a teacher here is incomparable to, yeah. to working in a state school in the UK. Uh, there's some accountability. We're a member of the Council of International Schools, so we're accredited mm. by them. And being an IB school, we're accredited by the IB. Mm. But the the relationship you have with those governing bodies is completely different to Ofsted. Mm. Like they come in and they're like, there is like a critical friend. They're looking for ways to support, you know, really celebrating the things you're doing well, making recommendations on what you can do even better. It's not a stressful process for leadership or for teachers at all. Uh, so that's definitely a part of it. Um, I think the other the other big things are the general engagement from students and parents is extremely mm. positive. Um, so you're, you're never fighting that. You're just sort of harnessing that energy. Um, and then also your, your general timetable, your class sizes are much smaller than you'd have um, back home for, for us. Mm. So all those factors, yeah, your work life balance is is really good, and there's genuine opportunities to collaborate with your colleagues mm. during the working day. It's not like that doesn't feel like an add on. You get you get a chance to sit down and say right, let's plan this new unit or plan this assessment. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's it's terrific. It's very very mm. tough to imagine moving back so sort of having come mm. this side and seen an experience not just it's not just about quality of life is it it's about enjoying how well you can do your job um, so moving moving out of that would be very tough i think
0: yeah completely agree um with that with with regard to taking that step up then so moving from a class teacher or head of year um, did you ever feel like once you took on that deputy principal um, position that um, you know relationships that you'd previously formed with either members of the department or just the secondary school at large did you find that difficult to deal with in terms of that step up um you go from being like a friend to a line manager or what was your experience of that
1: yeah um so yeah the role i stepped up to as assistant principal um Mm -hmm. and probably the, the slightly unique thing of you know you move to hong kong a new country you come in with an intake of other new teachers and you obviously become friends, but you're exploring the, the Island together. You're going to Lang Kui Fong, you're, you're going on junk boats. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of years later, I was line managing those friends. Um, so I, I, I didn't have any issues with it. I think it was very, you know, the colleagues I'm working with were very professional and it, it, that made things a lot easier, but I did, I have distanced myself socially with colleagues at work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's more of a professional relationship that I have rather than a, a social relationship. Um, I just, I've, I've just found that easier. And um, yeah, it's definitely worked for me.
0: Do you think that, because um, you're moving on to the English Schools Foundation, which is um, quite a big, um, I'm not sure whether to call it a company or um, what, in Hong organisation, yeah. that's the one. Um, do you, Do you feel like it'll be an easier, not an easier job, but maybe kind of, It'll, it'll allow for you'll you'll be able to skip that process of having to distance yourself from people um by going straight in to a leadership role as opposed to a classroom role in the in your current school.
1: Yeah, I think you know it's there's pros and cons I guess of both scenarios. Um you know, in any position at the school it's so important to have good relationships with your colleagues mm. and to be if you're coming in in a uh, you know a senior position that that can be a bit more challenging to form those relationships um, so i'm i'm conscious of that but at the same time like you know as you're suggesting i don't i don't need to change relationships with anyone i'm going in with a bit of a fresh mm-hmm. slate so um, you know it'll be more about just getting to know people getting to know how the school works getting to know the students uh, and building from there so yeah i think it i think it's easier going in into a senior position than than rising within one school
0: when you were, uh, when you eventually got selected to do the um, uh, the, the job of assistant principal, um, I noticed that you did the the masters with Bath. Um, I've seen quite a lot of educators in, in in senior leadership international teaching electing to do that one. Um, what led you to that particular masters above, you know, the IOA or any of the other the unis that offer it in in the U.K.
1: Um. That's a good question. I guess, well, first of all, I think doing a master's, I, I think if you're interested in moving to leadership, I think it, it does help. Mm. I I did it, I sort of felt I had to, because in in Asia in particular, it just seems so common that, that other people do. So I thought if I want to make that move, I'll, I'll need it. But actually I got a lot more out of it than I was anticipating. Um, and I, the reason I chose Bath, it was... It was mainly because uh, they had such flexibility with their online courses. Um, mm. That really appealed to me. At that time, uh, this was before I had children, I had different holidays to my wife. Obviously, she's not a teacher. So I wanted something which I could really choose when I was going to study. And I mostly did that during school holidays. Mm. And the bath course, it looked interesting. The modules looked interesting. That's obviously important. But it was that flexibility, which really appealed to me. Um mm. And I would recommend Bath. I'm now doing a doctorate there. Um, just started that last year. And that was partly based on how much I enjoyed doing the Masters.
0: What's What's the main kind of focus of the doctorate? Do you have one yet or um, is, is that still in
1: the works? So um, what I liked about the doctorate, you do get, again, a bit of variety. It's not just focusing on one issue. So you have to do four units. And mm. then from there, you select what's going to be your main thesis. What I'm lo- moving towards, what I think I'm most interested in is sort of, the social connections and the connectedness that kids feel to school Mm. i think that's particularly relevant given we've had a year or or more of uh disruption at school so i'm yeah probably gonna look at what are the factors that, that help students feel connected to school and maybe a little focus on peer mentoring um and sort of evaluate what impact that has if if any
0: superb okay um in terms of your experience at management level within the Hong Kong International School, one I think one thing that may differ slightly depending on where you teach in the UK is the fact that it is um, a real mix of cultural backgrounds, ethnicities, beliefs, values, et cetera, et cetera, which makes it obviously a very diverse place, which is is obviously a positive, but it can lead to Confusion, disagreements and, and perhaps in some cases conflicts. Have you ever come across that in your experience and have you seen strategies to deal with it um, in terms of how to, to rectify the situation?
1: Uh, with, with regards working to colleagues, not, not had too much conflict, to be honest. Um, although we've got a very multinational staff, many come from... A, a range of Western countries, but they're they're often quite a similar cultural background. And the, the kind mm. of person who moves to Hong Kong, you're probably going to have quite a lot in common with in terms of mm. personality types and and values. Um, at my school, we do have a lot of uh, Chinese colleagues, um uh, where there is a, that is a, a different culture. Um, but to be honest, it's it's one which is actually generally very positive to work with. Mm. Um, you know, people very much on board with the greater good and focusing on the students. So I've not mm. really experienced too much conflict. I think there's times where you need to be sensitive, and if you're having a one-on-one conversation with someone, um, I've, you know, I've, I've had times where I've consulted, consulted a colleague, just say like, I think I need to talk to someone about this. What's going to be a good approach? Mm. Um, I think that's something you'd probably do in most schools anyway. Uh, I think that's generally a good strategy. What I've found more challenging, so it's not really been so much an issue of cultural clash with colleagues, but more with parents. Um, and again I, I sort of mentioned that there's lots of positives about the local culture here where there's uh, uh, education and teachers and very high status um, that's very positive Our parents also very demanding um, high expectations um, and at times whereas you know being from the UK I think generally we're quite direct if if I want something I'll tell someone that's what I want and, yeah and I'd expect them to come back to me that's not so much the local culture here, uh, people much more indirect. You know, when I was sort of first few meetings I had with parents, it was it was only about half an hour into the meeting, I really worked out what it was that they wanted. Mm. Um, it was a much more sort of indirect approach to getting there. So you, you sort of pick up those little nuances, um, but it's not really been a cause for any conflict. It's more just about having a bit of patience and a bit of understanding and a bit of sensitivity, I suppose.
0: Mm, that I I completely agree with that in terms of the parents and um, yeah to a lesser degree the the staff but I think with with regard to Hong Kong culture there definitely seems to be an issue with or a difference between um, like power distance when it comes to um, how they perceive a leader and the role of the leader and their relationship with the leader and, and yeah. the way like a uh, your typical um, teacher in the UK would so yeah I think that's that's superb advice for um for anyone thinking about exploring like the Far East you know Hong Kong or China more specifically um, if we go back to something which um, you're really passionate about uh, although you were hired as a math teacher you are actually trained as a hit- history teacher is that right
1: yeah I uh, yeah the move as a math teacher was a funny one it was I'd I taught a little maths in the in the UK, um, mm. and when I was applying for jobs, I thought, well, I'm a history teacher. I'll find a history job." But there, were, there weren't very many, mm. um, and I managed to convince ISF that yeah, my, my maths was was good enough, um, and I taught Key Stage three maths for a few years. But mm. then when yeah, the opportunity to teach history when someone left, I said, "Oh, do you remember? Yeah, history actually is my specialist subject. Is uh, there any chance <laughs> I could move into the history department?" Um, and so, yeah, moved moved into history and been teaching that ever since.
0: That's quite an unusual skill set. That that's um, it's got an enviable um, you're sort of operating at two ends of the,
1: the spectrum you know, there. I but- think I, I really, I think it made a huge difference to my my understanding of pedagogy, student mm. experience. It's Made it a lot easier for me to line manage different departments. I line manage the maths department, but also when I've worked with colleagues in science or, or any other subject you have that confidence that actually it's about teaching kids and it's about well-organized lessons and um, clear objectives and so on. And it's not so much about the content knowledge. So it it was a brilliant experience for me professionally. Mm. Um, Definitely developed my skill set, yeah.
0: As a history teacher then, in terms of what, what, what era or what event or what person or what element of history whatsoever, it is is the most interesting thing which you've ever studied or been able to teach or are just generally interested in? Yeah. Uh,
1: it's a Tough question. I think I think it would be Russian history, uh, looking at the lead up to the revolution and then the establishment of the communist government. Mm. Um, so Russia from you know late eighteen hundreds up to sort of World War Two, that kind of fifty year period, and um, it's just. I mean, it's sort of like if it was a book or a movie, it'd be a real thriller, you know, it real page turner. It's just almost like every week there's a revolution, there's a war, there's, mm. there's death, there's it's fascinating, um, really interesting, really exciting. Uh, and also I like it because it, you know, it, it helps us understand our world today, not just because okay, we, we get that background in the Cold War, which it obviously led to and how that shaped the 20th century. But I think if you can, it's a pretty complex topic and if you can get your head around why this one country had this revolution at that time um and what that led to i think it, it kind of gives the kids a bit of a skill set to to understand most other other things um mm. it's something i've taught It's generally taught with older older students so i taught it at a level and uh, and at the dp but, but you obviously you could you could bring that down a little bit um mm. maybe year year nine i think would be a good good year group to introduce that
0: I see and then in terms of um, there's a lot of debate or discussion in the UK the last three or four years in terms of curriculum and, and knowledge rich curricula and um, cultural capital like what, what what's important what do kids what do students need to know in in the space of you know a 12 13 year education um, how do you feel about like building cultural capital through history do you think there should be like a set number of eras or events or things that you have to study and does that does that differ in the international teaching um sort of um uh, setup as opposed to teaching in the UK uh
1: for for me I I don't really like the idea of history about just learning facts um mm. for a few reasons one I think it, it can make it quite boring um and two I, I don't think it's very useful really uh and then probably most important is like well who decides which facts we should learn um mm. i think if we if we say our history is about having an understanding of our heritage or all, all that you know the, the history of the uk is so so rich and diverse i think that's what kind of leads to the kind of you know the the views on the blitz being a wonderful time um mm. and this was this was a great thing or you know, or we should learn about these kings and queens. And then I, I just think, yeah, it does shape a sort of a narrative and a, a shared cultural understanding. I, I do see that. But then is that, for me, that wouldn't be what I would see as British culture, you know, just looking at all mm. these these old queen, kings and queens or or this war that we, we happen to fight. Mm. So I, I much prefer the idea of history. Obviously, you need to understand some of the knowledge, and, and that's a skill to be able to recall it, but much more for history as a way of understanding the world today. So mm. thinking about it of the skills that you get from uh understanding about causation, what what happened, what were the consequences mm. of issues, um, being able to communicate about those in in an effective way. So I would I would say there definitely needs to be that that shared understanding of the the skills we get from history. Mm. Um, but I don't think personally that there should be just a an agreed set of mm. periods that should be explored. Uh, I like the idea of, of starting local and, you know, very much as in local to your school, the history around us, mm. um, getting a bit of a passion for it, understanding that, that that our community has evolved over a long period of time, mm. and then moving out from there. Um, and I think, yeah, one of the criticisms probably looking back about my time in the UK, it's a very British-focused history mm. curriculum. Um, it's been really uh, liberating coming to an international school where we're. Actively encouraged to look at global history. We do do look some local history as well, um, but we can we can pick any periods we want, um, mm. and I think that's just much more exciting, much more enriching for the students. So, uh, mm. I, I personally, if I was in charge, I, I would say focus on on the, the skills. Knowledge is important, but you you can always pick up new knowledge if you've got the skill set, you've got the desire to learn and that's been tapped into, that curiosity has been provoked, then Mm. you'll you'll always be willing and wanting to learn more. And history then becomes about not just what I learned in those three years or five years or seven years I did in school. It's, you know, it's a skill set that I can carry into my sort of post-school life uh, Mm. and become lifelong learners in history.
0: I think like to push back on that, there are um, events that they have to learn about, like the students have to learn about. So in Hong Kong, for example, if it was as a history department, uh, if you head a department, you would say they they need to learn this particular event or they need to learn this particular. So in terms of like Hong Kong's history, just just the exchange between obviously the the like Great Britain and China, the Opium Wars, the New Territories, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, um, do you think? If you, if you were the principal, if you were the, the line manager for the the head of history, would you sort of say to them, you know, I can see the Aztecs, I can see the ancient Greeks, I can see Rome, I can see the Russian revolutions, I can see this, where's um, Hong Kong or where's this particular aspect of, of history? Or would you be satisfied to kind of follow that approach that you just mentioned a minute ago where it's like well as long as they've got the skills it doesn't really matter which era they study
1: i think th- i think there's a bit of both i i do think mm. you want some local history um so yeah i think having having an understanding of the history around us i think is really important mm. uh but i don't i wouldn't be specifying which parts of hong kong history mm. i think there's some interesting parts about you know, at my current school, we we look at how Hong Kong was affected during World War II. And, you know, mm. the fact that there's some um, remnants of pillboxes you know, next to our school that kids mm. walk past every day. And until they mm. do this unit with us in year nine, they suddenly sort of go, wow. And, and, you know, I think that's that's really powerful. You I,
0: contextualize I, it. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think as soon as we start saying, right, you need to learn about this, we're, we're creating a bit of a narrative. Um, mm. And whilst I think that can be well intentioned, you know, who who am I to say my values are what you should learn? Right, you must learn about mm. democracy, or or you must learn about this war. Um, yeah. So I think I, I, I think even though that can be well intentioned, I, I I think doing some local history absolutely essential. And I would see it as local history and then moving out, local, regional, global. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be specifying content personally.
0: I think that's a really I mean, that's quite an important point to know. Like, who am I to to um for lack of a better word dictate what what um the students must learn in, in order to kind of enter um um you know society at large but in terms of what the parents want um if, if it is like a hong kong school or a beijing school or a, a tokyo school etc to what extent do you think if they're sending the son or daughter to let's say uh, it, it's a school that comes under the the sort of reputation of a British school, so like the English Schools Foundation or Kellett or or any of these sort of British-led schools in in Hong Kong. To what extent do you think parents are interested in their son or daughters learning about the local history, as opposed to if they if they're planning to pack them off to Durham or Oxford or Cambridge, they'd rather them learn about you know the Battle of Hastings or um. Uh, the first world war or more kind of anglo-centric topics where where do you think parents and teachers stand on that Uh,
1: that's a good question i think i I don't i don't think parents worry too much about the particular content i've never had parents saying you should be doing this or or, Mm. why are you doing that i think generally they want their kids to have a global outlook and they want them to be able to kind of interact with with people from different cultures most of our students will go to the UK or the US. Um, so I think they want them to un- understand some global historical events, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I don't think they're therefore expecting it should be British. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think there would be yeah, significant world events or looking at periods from different parts of the world um, would be kind of what parents are, are hoping for, but they I've never had parents kind of specify what we should or shouldn't be doing.
0: if if teachers are planning to leave the UK to go to uh, like Hong Kong or the UAE or China or elsewhere, do you think that is a bit of a, coming back to what you said a minute ago, do you think it is a disadvantage that the UK curriculum is so invested in um, British history? It means that if you do move abroad, you're you're kind of hamstrung by the fact that you're not as aware of, of how to teach. World, world events,
1: or more regional, local history. I think uh, I, I think it potentially, but I think that's offset by the massive advantage of the fact that I didn't realise this at the time, but I think the training for UK teachers is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. So, having been involved in recruitment um, in the last few years, if we see someone's experience of teaching in the UK, we have a lot of confidence that they're probably going to be have good pedagogical knowledge, be able to have good relationships with students. I think that's what's most important um mm. and you know you would trust them that someone can come in and pick up a new curriculum whether they've covered the content isn't really a bigger factor i think it's mm. more about you know adapting. what your views yeah you know can it's a bit like you know if you're an english teacher just because you haven't taught a particular book doesn't mean that you can't teach that book um it's more about what are your the things i'd be asking at an interview would be you know tell me about how you engage students how do you plan lessons how do you hmm. manage for a mixed ability class tell me about behaviour management strategies i i don't think i'd ever I, I would ask people what they're passionate about and then hmm. how they get that across to students but i wouldn't expect someone to have a particular knowledge in history so i, I don't hmm. think that's a big big disadvantage
0: hmm. okay um with lots of new schools being created across China and, and the Middle East, I think I saw a statistic somewhere that at the moment there's something like 400,000 jobs that require English as a medium of instruction around the world. So whether it's English teachers, history, geography, et cetera, that's set to go up by, uh, go up to 800,000 within the next 10 years. If you were headhunters, which is uh, an entirely uh, possible situation, and you could make it work with um your wife and and the kids and stuff if you were asked to go and set up a school in the UAE or China. What kind of mission statement or values or uh, ethos would you set down at the initial planning phase for a secondary school?
1: um I think I'd start I'd start very small very very small number of values I think it's it's so tempting to think like right, there's all these things that are important and as soon as you start listing everything you then actually, it's significant when you miss, miss things out. So I try and, try and focus on sort of three core values mm. from the student. These are the things I want the student to have. Uh, I want them to be compassionate, which I think is broad enough to talk about compassionate for other people, to be able to work in a team, to, to have a sort of global outlook and care about global issues. Mm. Uh, I'd want them to be curious. I think that's the most important thing as a learner. So um, excited to find out more. And I'd want them to be, to be skilled or or to be competent to have those those skills to do it. So sort of three core values of um, compassion, curiosity, and competence. Loving the alliteration. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this, and I was like, uh, yeah, three three things, same letter. Uh, competence isn't a great word, is it? But I think it. I like it. It begins with, it begins with C, so that was yeah. important to me. Um. I think once you've got those values, they can obviously be unpacked and they they expand. Uh, but at that point, I wouldn't want it to be all about about me. So I think if I was starting a brand new school, I'd say like right, these are my these are going to be the values of the school. Uh, I'd want to recruit colleagues who are on board with those values, and then as mm-hmm. a as a sort of small group, we'd then kind of workshop that and say like right, let's let's turn this into a a vision and a mission, mm-hmm. uh, and then we from that we build our curriculum. You know what curriculum is going to give us compassionate students, curious students, competent mm. students. What pastoral frameworks going to help us do that? What other things do we need to do? Um, and I don't, I don't think that can come just from one person. So as much as mm. I think you've got to have that, all right, I'll, some clear values, I think I'd really want a team to, to kind of develop that. Um, mm. That would be really exciting. I think one day I would love to do that, um, starting in a small school and say, all right, let's start off and then let's sort of build a school from some simple values.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, that's all I've got for you today. I mean, in terms of that, you, you kind of uh, pinched me at last question, which was, "Do you ever see yourself as being at the top of the um, the, the institution?" But you've you've obviously answered that. So I think all that air remains to be said is uh,
1: thanks a lot for
0: giving me your time today, and best of luck in your new position come
1: August. Thanks a lot, Chris. Absolute pleasure to speak to you. Cheers, Cheers, Mark.